Eugene Peterson, who has instructed me in a lot of ways through his pastoral writings, captured my imagination years ago when he said this, nothing gets me more bristly about the neck than when a high-powered executive meets me in the narthex after the service, before you're, if you're a low church, meets me after the service and says something like, well, preacher, that was great. But now it's time to get back to the real world, isn't it? And he says, I hate it when people think of me as nice but insignificant. And I, I have to fight myself back from saying to him, that's funny, I thought we were in the most real world. And I realize, if I told this man what I really believed, he would fire me. Because I believe that the American way of life is doomed to destruction. And that the kingdoms of America and China and Venezuela are going to become the kingdom of our God and of His Christ. And that administration is being secretly set up now in all the nations of the world among every kind of person. My task, he said, as a pastor is training people to live in the most real world. And I've been thinking about that, and we're going to look at that this month. Some habits for living in the most real world, by which I mean the kind of thing the Apostle Paul speaks about in Colossians, that Jesus is the creator of all things visible and invisible. We think, what? Invisible? There's nothing real that's invisible, is there? Well, yes, of course there is. Jesus is invisible to us. Heaven is invisible to us. This new world that he's forming is invisible to us. Demons and angels and the surrounded saints that surround us, enemy against us. We believe that there is far more to reality than what you can witness with your eye, you can taste with your mouth, and you can touch with your hands. We're a people of faith who are trying to be sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. We want to be characterized like Moses himself who was able somehow or another to not sell his soul and sell out on his God. And he was able to endure because he saw him who was invisible. That's how the author of Hebrews puts it. How can you learn to see him who's invisible? Our life is filled with information. Our life is filled with all sorts of problems, powerful problems. There are there are political issues that are far-reaching. There are government shutdowns and debates about Obamacare. There are economic problems. There are problems you have in relationships. And nothing around you, or not much anyways, hopefully this does, but not much around you is actively encouraging you to imagine that there's anything beyond that present crisis. The people on the news networks are never, ever inclined to say, but remember, Christ is ruling on the throne. If they said that, they would be fired. But, but remember, let us keep all of this in perspective because we believe the sovereign one who's ruling over all things, even though right now it is not clear all the things over which he is ruling. But remember, just because you get elected doesn't mean that on the final judgment comes, you will stand up well. You need a Savior. So we want to think about habits that would help us. And here's the habit I'm going to ask you to think about today. The habit of memory. The skill of memorizing. The Apostle Paul says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. The psalmist says, Here's how I'm going to keep my way pure. I'm going to practice this habit 
of depositing Scripture in my heart. A few years ago, an author wrote a book. Nope. Well, he did write a book, but an excerpt from that book appeared in The Atlantic. It's called, Is Google Making Us Stupid? And in it, this literary fellow complained and realized that his brain was changing because he found himself unable to read for long periods of time anymore or follow a complicated argument that being on the Internet had trained him to read shortly and then to bounce. He couldn't keep his attention span going. And in this article, he mentions a writing, the Phaedrus from Plato. Most of you probably read it for devotions this morning. And in it, he has a fictional uh, Socrates Johnson, if you're familiar with Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Socrates is talking with people as he's about to be executed. And in it, he, he worries about the advent of writing. He's worried that the moment that people start writing down things, that they're going to be able to appear to be knowledgeable but not have any real wisdom. The second you start off-putting what you know in books or in cyberspace, and you don't have it in you anymore, then you can't be formed as a person because he knew, as all ancient societies have known, that your memory, without it, you aren't a person. That's why Alzheimer's is such a wicked disease. If you lose your memory, you're not who you are anymore. It is likely, I haven't seen this verified, I've seen multiple sources say this, but they all seem to be referring to each other, that a little Jewish boy in the first century, like Jesus, by the time he was 10 years old, would have memorized the Torah. The what? The Pentateuch. The first five books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And some of us are saying, what, what did he say? We don't even know there is a book called Leviticus. And he was 10 years old and had memorized it. Because there was this sense that the words that formed the world, they had been offered to us, that we can take them into our soul as if our soul is like a giant crock pot. Am I getting you hungry? And you can take in God's words, the words that gave the orders to the morning that call things that are not as though they were, the words that make and uphold all things. You can take them into yourself and they can start to flavor everything that you see and everything that you know, everything that you think. And then you can let God's words simmer within you. And see, all of you all the time are stewing on things. You're always simmering on things. There's things stewing in you whether you realize it or not. Watch yourself sometimes when you get agitated, when you get sad. You can go for a whole 15 minutes if nobody bothers you thinking about what might happen next Tuesday. What happens if you run out of money? What happens if something happens to your kids? Or thinking about what you said in that meeting and how stupid everybody must think you are. Or... Worrying about your health. You need some way to counterweight all that's stewing in you and you've got the opportunity to have the self-disclosure of God ruminating within you. To offset all the stuff that normally goes on within you. And see, I think this is what we would like to have happen. Memory is an incredibly important thing. That's why I'm urging you, let's start memorizing Scripture. 
If you go to a doctor and you're going to have your gallbladder taken out, do you hope that that doctor is having to read a book the night before about where the gallbladder is? I don't know anything about medical training, but let me urge you this. Find out if he knows beforehand. I want a doctor who's memorized all that stuff, who knows the human anatomy. I don't want him just to know how to go to a book to find it. I want it in him. Or her, sorry. If you're learning a foreign language, it's cool to have Google Translate, but heavens, you can't have a conversation with somebody if you don't know the words. And the way that it works and sure is difficult if you have a relationship with someone, if you had to check your notes each time you came home at night and said, what's that woman's name that I have been living with the last 20 years? You know her name. Because our memory forms us. So I'd urge you to think about memorizing Scripture. Letting it seep and stew within you. A few years ago, so you don't just think that this is just a religiously zesty guy who gets paid to be religious after all, so of course I can advocate arcane spiritual practices. A man in this community that I admire told me this. I memorized the book of Romans, and it healed my anger. Well, I haven't heard anybody say anything like that. I went to a Georgia football game, and it healed my anger. I made $100,000, and it healed my anger. I've never heard anybody say, and it healed my anger. But this guy said it because he memorized the book of the Bible. I did not ask him for follow-up questions. I was just so mesmerized by the statement. I thought, wow, something has obviously happened in him in such a way by letting God's words have access to his insides that something substantial happened to him. Our own Tim Mela, who's about to be ordained as a deacon in our congregation, you heard him a, few, a year ago, I guess, memorize a few weeks, a few 52 weeks ago, recite a book of the Bible, started a Bible memory club because he also has found how the scriptures has come alive and how Jesus has come alive on him as he has exposed himself to these breaths of God. You know what happens in the story of Aslan and the children of Narnia when he goes into the wicked witch, the white witch's castle. It's like a museum. Their friends have all been turned to stone. And how does Aslan animate them? How does he take these stony creatures and make them alive again? He breathes on them. That was pretty cool special effect, wasn't it? He breathes on them. And the scriptures declare that they are God's breath. The very Spirit of God anchored in these things, and they take root in us, and who knows what might happen. So I'm urging you to be a person who memorizes the Scripture. Start someplace. Start small. And I only think this is applicable if you are, well, if you can talk. So if you're a baby and you can't read yet, it's probably too hard. Or you can't talk yet. That's probably too hard. But probably anybody else in here, if you're somebody who thinks, I don't know if the Bible's even true, then you certainly ought to try to memorize some of it. And if your life is going really poorly and you find yourself really depressed and anxious, then I would advocate that you try this. And if your life is going very swimmingly, then I would also advocate that you try it. And if you just lost your job or if you have a fantastic job, I'd urge you to try it. 
If you're a college student or you're on the verge of retirement, I think it would be a great idea for you to let Scripture stew in you and try this. Try memorizing it. And so now I'm done. What I'm going to do is I'm going to try to practice what I've preached and give you a taste of what might have happened in the first century in a house church meeting. The whole book of Colossians would be read aloud to the people there. They would have heard it. It would have been urged that it would be read upon them. I'm going to try, if I don't pass out, and my brain doesn't start to fall out of my ears, to recite Colossians for you. And I want you, if it get, look, if I start to notice people doing this, like that, that I'll stop. If I start to notice that people are, have gone into some kind of comatose state, I will stop. But we'll see what, and if I, you know, if my brain just freezes up. I've, no, I've learned in the first service, this is way harder to do in front of people than it is in my shower. So let this be like a warm shower <laughs> washing over you of God's words. Let them hit you. Let them come alive for you. Here we go. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whenever we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, the faith and the love that spring up from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven, which you have heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you all over the world. This gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you first heard it. And understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we first heard about you, we haven't stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we do this in order that you might live a life worthy of the Lord, pleasing him, in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible, whether rulers or authorities, powers or thrones, all things were made by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of his body, of the body, which is the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in all things he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once 
Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out for you in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard. And that has been preached to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now, I rejoice in what was suffered for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking with regard to the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission that God gave to me to present to you the word of God in all its fullness. And now I blank out. I have to find my place. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but has now been disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. To this end, I labor. Because it's him. I see I get I'm out of sorts here. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy which works so powerfully in me. Now I want you to know, brothers, how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they would be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord... Continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, being strengthened in your faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies which depend on the traditions of men and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form and you have been given fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and authority. And in him you are also circumcised in the putting off of your sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and then raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or by what you drink, or with regard to a religious festival, or a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are all shadows of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. 
Don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you from the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what they have seen, and their unspiritual nature nature puffs them up with idle notions. They have lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, held together and supported by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of the world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have the appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship and their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack all value in restraining sensual indulgence. Therefore, since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death whatever belongs to your sinful nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the ways that you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, slander, filthy language from your lips. And do not lie to each other since you've taken off the old self with its evil practices and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Jew or Greek, uncircumcised or circumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Whatever grievances you have, forgive as the Lord forgave you. But the, and, and, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ dwell in you since you were called as members of one body to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all Wisdom, And as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Don't be harsh with them. Children, children, obey your parents in everything because this pleases the Lord. Fathers, don't embitter your children or they'll become discouraged. Slaves, obey your masters in everything. Not only when their eye is on you to win their favor, 
but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord, not for men, because you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there's no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. And now, devote yourselves to prayer. This is the last chapter. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray also for us that God may open a door for our message, that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always, always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you might know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a a dear brother and a faithful servant of Christ Jesus. I'm sending him for the express purpose that you may know about us and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our, our dear and faithful brother, who is also one of you. They will tell you everything that's happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus also sends his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is also called Justice, sends his greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a great comfort for me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends his greetings. Epaphras is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I can vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and for those at Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, he sends his greetings as does Demas and send my greetings to the church, the brothers at Laodicea and to to, uh, Nympha and the church that meets at her house. See to it that after this letter has been read to you, that is read at the church of the Laodiceans, and that in turn, you read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you've received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you.